Well, welcome to the Mostly Star Wars podcast. Today we have your regular trio of hosts. First, we got Mostly Darth, Tyler. Howdy. And we got we got our one and only Crazy Q, Quentin. Hello. Finally, myself, Mostly Martinez, Josiah. So today, we're it's our episode three, but we're going to be talking about episode two. So... Today we were going to have a special guest um, because it was their favorite of the prequel trilogies. Unfortunately, he had a family emergency, um, so our thoughts and prayers are with him and his family. However, um, jumping kind of right into this, uh, we we all love and hate Attack of the Clones for different reasons. Um <laughs> And so I think the best thing, instead of jumping into the negative right away, is let's talk about maybe some of our favorite moments. So what's your favorite moment, Tyler? So I'd have to say uh, probably when Dooku is talking with Obi-Wan and he basically spells out everything that's happening. He he flat out tells Obi-Wan the entire plot. He, he tells him, you know, Palpatine's controlling everything. But obviously, yeah. Obi-Wan isn't going to believe him. And But I also like the... He plays on the... Oh, I was once uh, Qui-Gon's master, just as you was once his. And so he plays on that so well. And it kind of it kind of gives you chills of like... And it, kind of, it actually... I was re-watching it, and it made me think... Is Dooku really bad, or is he more like Qui Gon is for the Sith? It's interesting. I I just never thought about it like that before, but so that's kind of because it it seems to have a more and uh it kind of has a more I don't know the words escaping me, but yeah it's it's a great moment and yeah sorry I didn't switch the cameras quick enough. <laughs> <laughs> I got to learn that for myself, but uh, yeah, that's that's my favorite moment. All right, and then Q. You know, that's that's a tough one. Um, I do I do really like the um, the fight between Obi Wan and Django. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a real interesting. Uh, situation and i think it shows the the ability that um beskar and mandalorian equipped individuals can can fight well against jedi there's a history there and they have that that ability and later on when they're they're fighting in space and you get that first seismic charge oh that is Ooh. one of the greatest sound effects in the history of cinema it is just absolutely yeah. beautiful, and I will never forget that. I yeah. love when it starts popping up. You know, we've been seeing it uh, more in the last, uh, what, in Boba Fett and in the last season of The Mandalorian. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I love that that ship, the Fett's ship, and it is, it's so good to see it again in The Mandalorian and... I really loved how the Mandalorian they showed how it actually works, like from inside the ship. That was, uh, yes, I was, I was getting goosebumps when I saw that. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite moment, Josiah? 
Yeah, I think uh, there's definitely, you know, the moment with, you know, the actual, the fight scene of Yoda and Dooku, just, you know, the, the emotions behind it, the meaning behind it, the different implications behind it, the, you know, the master, the master pad one. Um, and I, I think another interesting point to the whole thing is even just the battle itself, you kind of see, it kind of makes it seem in a way that they're kind of evenly matched, but in reality, uh, I feel like the difference is where Dooku was making things fall down and Yoda was, <laughs> was stopping them. So the differences of force, you know, it's easier to make something fall down than to, to keep it, you know, from falling. Uh, so I, I, I kind of liked the, I guess like the, the small little details there between the two. Um, and so I do like that moment, but I feel like once again, I always cheat, but I think my the biggest moment for me was when uh, all the Jedi come in to Geonosis, like into the Coliseum, and you just see, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred Jedi, just you know, lightsabers everywhere. You know, they're you know taking off their hoods all over the place in the crowd. I think that moment was just so huge because, yeah, usually, and in the making of a couple of the different characters brought this out, but before you only see, you know, a couple of Jedi and a Sith or just a couple of Jedi, you don't get to see, you know, the Jedi at that time were in high power. So you finally get to see all of them, you know, fighting in, in unison, but like with their own, their own styles, you know, based on, you know, obviously they're, different species and different trainers and masters, things like that. But I thought that just, I remember that in the theater that I just, you know, got goosebumps and just, you know, I'm like, what the heck, you know, just one of those moments where it kind of, it kind of changes you forever. And star Wars does that so many times to me where, you know, a piece of cinema changes your, your viewpoint and thoughts, you know, forever. And I think that was one of the moments for me, when I was just like, wow, you know, this is the type of Star Wars that I want to see. So. I think I think that moment, too, is one of it's almost like that's what people wanted when when they thought, OK, we're getting new Star Wars and you're going to get the Jedi that that's what they wanted to see. That was the moment that everyone been waiting for of hundreds of Jedi and fighting a huge battle and what that would look like. Yeah. And that's what that's what that was. Yeah, I, so, I still get, get goosebumps every time I see when, when all the lightsabers light up and it's just they zoom out. You see the whole arena just full of lightsabers. It's so cool. And Mace's is purple. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so he can stand out. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I And I love that story behind it, you know, that. You know, we all, you know, love Samuel Jackson and, you know, as Mace, especially. And I, yeah, I, I just love that, that that's how it happened that, you know, that basically Samuel Jackson's like, I want to have purple. And George is like, okay. <laughs> that was, that's just awesome. I think there was a, that conversation was filmed. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, what colors are there? Well, usually blue and green are for the good guys and, and red are for the bad guys. <laughs> 
Well, what if I want purple? We can do purple. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that that yeah. is pretty great. So, um, what about how do we feel about who the main character is in this episode? So, I personally think that there's two, and it's just Anakin and Obi-Wan, because the whole movie is following them around. And so, they start off together, and then they split up, and they each go do their own things, but then they're back together, and it, and it continually follows what they are doing. It's, it's both of them, and then it almost... It's a great symbolization for the fact that I think what George was trying to show is their brotherhood, their brothers. And so they follow them both. In this movie, they're more master and apprentice or father and son. But it's almost kind of weird how their relationship moves from that to a more brother brotherhood kind of relationship and it kind of got me thinking like uh obi-wan always calls him uh my young padawan he's he's constantly saying my young you know, young padawan my young apprentice making sure that anakin knows he's young but i was kind of thinking about it and i was wondering if it wasn't more just also for obi-wan himself as well because he is trying to tell himself, no, you need to be good and you still have a responsibility to train this person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think, you? Uh, well, I have a, a little different of opinion. My thought is, who, who is the first character, the first main character we see in the movie? It's Padme, right? Mm-hmm. And this is this is the the Skywalker saga, right? It's the tragedy of Darth Vader, but it's also the Skywalker saga. And we know that Padme becomes a Skywalker. I think it's it's a huge a huge part of this movie is that story between those two, right? Like a lot of stuff yeah. has to happen, but but their love story is is one of the most important things to. To this prequel series right mm -hmm. so i think that uh padme and anakin together are are the main characters and you've got the supporting cast around them to to fill in this this deeper story but i think a large portion of this is of their uh the main characters would be anakin and, and padme mm -hmm. what do you think josiah yeah, I I have to agree. And I was really like struggling trying to choose one of the two. And so I feel like I'm kind of like you. I I definitely feel like it's it's Anakin and Padme, but the because the importance of both of them is so uniquely tied together. And the fact that this is like a legit love story, you know, this movie is a love story, is quirky and is like weird cringy like you know sexual harassment borderline <laughs> moments and <laughs> you know yeah. uh, i i think you know in all in all it is it's a love story of two people 
you know, Anakin, who, you know, from a young age was, you know, training to be a Jedi. And then Padme, who, you know, was, you know, a queen and then a senator. So neither one of them really had, you know, a normal upbringing, you know, where. And so so I think, you know, a, a lot of like the hate they get. I think they the dialogue and the way that they acted towards each other was exactly what you would expect in both of them. But yeah, I, I feel like they are really the main characters because there's some crazy moments happening. I mean, obviously Obi-Wan and his investigation, um, which is funny because he was so against the investigation and then leads it. But <laughs> um, right. yeah, Obi-Wan definitely plays plays a big role. I mean, the council's there. Once again, Palpatine's there pulling strings. And obviously until later, do you know um, to what extent? But I do definitely feel like both Anakin and Padme are the main characters because this is where we find out how they fall in love and how, you know, two more of the greatest heroes of all time, Luke and Leia, come to be. So, yeah, I, I have to go with Padme and Anakin as well. Not a wrong choice here. You know, <laughs> I, I wanted to touch on those on some of those thoughts you said about uh, the cringiness and inappropriateness. Mm -hmm. I used to just think, you know, that's that's bad writing, right? Mm -hmm. But it's actually, if you if you really think about it, it's really good writing, because Anakin, since he was nine, has been a Jedi, right? Yeah. So I don't exactly think they teach a class in flirting. <laughs> Spent most of his time with Obi Wan, or sexual harassment training. Galaxy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think it, so, as a proper Jedi shouldn't need that. <laughs> I mean, he's a 19-year-old kid full of hormones with, with with no experience talking to girls, right? So mm -hmm. there's going to be some cringe there. I'm sure you were cringy when you were 19. <laughs> I'm sure we all were. So My, I... I, I Trying to think about that, I was, I was, when I was watching it, I was thinking that maybe it's not as, as bad as we all used to think it was. Mm -hmm. But it was actually, actually intended like that. I will agree with that. I've also, uh, I've watched a video recently. Uh, his channel is so uncivilized and he's got some good points on the wooden dialogue because, uh, George Lucas calls himself the king of wooden dialogue. And basically, he says that he uses dialogue in such a way that it's like a sound effect. But he also brought out that a sound effect, you could think, well, that's just minor. That's not a big thing. But if you think about Star Wars, it has the most memorable sound effects ever. Yeah. A lightsaber. Uh, you know, and just using sound to to uh, project moments. I think of in a, uh, a New Hope when uh, Vader is coming in, you just hear the ship screeching and, and it sounds terrifying, like in the moments building. And there's just there's so much of that. And so but a sound effect is meant to be distinct. You should understand what it means. And that's the point of his writing. That's the point of the dialogue. It's very clear that it is kind of corny. 
Mm-hmm. It's it, he also like like Quentin said he, he doesn't understand how to flirt and all that, but also the message is supposed to be clear. You're supposed to clearly understand the message that George is trying to write, and I think we got that. And another thing with some of the writing makes for great memes. <laughs> <laughs> totally true. And I, yeah, I, I agree with both of you guys. I think that is an excellent, it's an excellent point, you know, when, when it comes to all that, because the, the other side to it, you know, when you think of George's focus is not so much on the dialogue, but on the special effects and the sounds and the music, the beautiful music you know, if, if that's a lot of his, his focus, so to say. And, uh, um, I'm spacing what the actor's name was, but the, the actor that played, uh, Senator Valorum. Uh, oh yeah. Anyway. I know who you're talking about. So there was talk that, and he did an interview where he said that one of the reasons he didn't come back because he was scripted to come back was because George cared more about special effects <laughs> and sounds than the actual actors. And I think, you know, that that's one of the beauties of Star Wars, you know, like it doesn't need the dialogue to be amazing, amazing, amazing stories. And, but, you know, that aside, I feel like in this movie, the dialogue gets so much hate, you know, like, and that it's so cringy and weird and, I just feel like even when I watched it, so when I watched it when I was young, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was, you know, I was young too. So I didn't think the dialogue was weird. And then as I, as I kind of grew up, I kind of thought it was weird based on everyone else thinking it was weird. But I yep. think, you know, the more I matured and like, you know, like you were saying, like thinking of wooden dialogue and then seeing, you know, the way that different plays and, and things like that, that George was really into the way that they conversed, you can kind of see how, you know, this wasn't just like, oh, I don't care about the dialogue, you know, it just is what it is going to be. If it's weird, it's weird. You know, all of this was intentional. And the, the more that you think of it and view it as intentional, the more you start to enjoy the dialogue. Like the last time that I watched it, I enjoyed it so much better, you know, in, instead of thinking, oh, that's weird or cringy. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, wow, you know, that that was actually amazing writing. And then, you know, Hayden Christensen getting like hate for his acting. Like I'm like, man, he he did so good based on the character he was portrayed to be. And then based on the dialogue he was said to have, like he was he was excellent. And I think yeah, he really was. I think another thing with it is this is Luke's dad, right? And we know how Luke was too, you know? Luke Luke at the beginning, when you first see him, is like a whiny little brat, yep. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he's just like, you know, complaining about everything, you know? And, you know, just, you know, yeah, I don't know. He's just, at the, at the time, you don't really think of it, but when you kind of look back, you're like, wow, he was kind of like really immature and whiny. And then you, we all know what he ends up being, a legend. And I feel like Anakin is similar in the fact that, you know, he does kind of, you know, start off like maybe like, I don't think he's so much whiny, but, you know, definitely I would say, you know, 
there's the mix of self-righteousness, arrogance, and then complaining when things don't go his way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you can definitely see, see the two in there. There is similarities, but obviously Luke and Anakin made different choices <laughs> in, in the long run. But yeah, I, I think as far as the dialogue goes, I really love it because, and we talked about this off air even um, a, a few days ago, but I remember when I was attempting to date my wife and I was nervous, I was shaky, I was saying nonsense. Um, looking back, looking back at some of the interactions that we had when I was trying to date her, like, yeah, I, I can't fault Anakin too much for the things that he did. <laughs> you know, I wasn't like, you know, staring at her like he did and like trying to cop a feel, but but I was definitely <laughs> saying nonsense and, you know, trying to say things to make myself sound cool that in the long run, I was like, why did I say that? That was so dumb. Um, <laughs> so now that, that was me. And so you could only imagine now Anakin, you know, where, well, like we already said, he was raised in a Jedi temple since he was nine. So, you know, got to give him a little bit of slack. You know, he was doing the best he can. And we already know that Anakin knows what he wants and he goes for it. You know, whether it's right or wrong, he does know what he wants and goes for it. And I think that's one reason why Padme ends up falling in love with him. Because, you know, she's surrounded by, you know, first as a queen that are going to do whatever she says, whether they believe or not. And then finally, she's in the Senate where everyone jokes about it, but you, no one's to be trusted, really. Everybody's out for themselves, you know, and there's some sort of political or financial gain, you know, so she can't really trust anybody and anybody's words to be true. And now she yep. has Anakin who's telling you, this is what I feel and proving to her that that's what he feels. So I think that's kind of another thing where she like finally finds truth in someone you know, who's like, I love you and I'm going to prove it to you this way. So, and yeah, and she kind of, yeah, uh, well, she kind of also goes and, and realizes, well, he might be the first one that's ever talking straight to her, telling right. her what she wants to hear. I mean, at one point she goes, are you making fun of me? Like, <laughs> so he's totally just being honest, really. He's nervous to even be talking to her. And I like that point too, of like the nervousness because mm-hmm. later you see in the clone wars where he's, uh, flirting with the slave slave operator on, on, uh, what I don't, can't remember her name, but I think I, you guys know what I'm talking about when they're, they're infiltrating the slave trading and mm-hmm. he's flirting with the queen cat lady. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's so much smoother smooth talking but obviously at that point he has no interest and he's right not nervous in any way so Mm -hmm. and at that point he's older and also you know married so he it just makes more sense that yeah he would be better at it then uh one thing one thing i wanted to talk about is i was kind of thinking about this when I rewatched it, is the I feel like the tragedy of Shmi Skywalker because when he finds her, she tells him basically 
now she is complete. And mm-hmm. what that what I took from that is that she got to see her son grow up, see him as an adult, as a Jedi, saving people, doing what he's supposed to, and that she that that fulfilled her and that was all that she wanted left from life at that point. And just the sadness that her death alone was one of the many factors that led to the exact opposite of that. Of the opposite of everything that she ever wanted. And so that, that moment when I was rewatching it, it is like, that's tough. It's, yeah. it's, it's sad for her because you think this is what she wanted was to see him as a Jedi. And... Well, he kills all the Jedi and kills a lot of people. It's the opposite of what she ever wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I, I think another kind of point when it comes to comes to like the whole situation, I guess you can say, is it, even within the movie, Anakin is having those nightmares, which are basically, you know, premonitions at that point. And if you, if you kind of see the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin, it really fluctuates. It fluctuates between master Padwan to brothers, to father, son, to friends, it really kind of is all over the place. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why we see Anakin talk back and be disrespectful as much as he does, because I feel like there is never necessarily ground rules until Obi-Wan decides that there is, you know, I, yeah, I like they're, they're laughing and having a good time and everything's all good. And then the next it's like, don't ever, you know, speak over your master. You know, <laughs> I I so, like yeah. I like that point because I've when I when I think about it, Obi Wan, Obi Wan is tough on Anakin, especially in this movie. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he is probably more lenient with Anakin than any other Jedi would be. Period, because yeah. there's the one point when they're chasing after Dooku and he's like, put the ship down and I can't leave her. And he just says, you'll be expelled from the Jedi order. Well, he doesn't tell anyone else about that conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm certain from, from everything I've seen, there's no way that he's ever told anyone else about that conversation that they had. And that, that little moment that Anakin had to have to kind of get himself focused. Mm hmm. And because and obviously he sees what's going on too, he sees his infatuation with Padme, and yes. so he's also he's like tough on him, but also lets him get away with that. And I don't think Anakin really realizes that, especially in this movie. I kind I think he he realizes that throughout the Clone Wars, and you kind of get to see that where where they don't always agree, but 
uh, even Obi-Wan just brushes that off as Anakin being Ab- Anakin. Mm-hmm. And when you get to Revenge of the Sith, they have a more brother brotherhood brother relationship where he's like, all right, no, you get you can have your day with the politicians. You saved me for the ninth time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so you get that. And I think that hold is on, actually hold on, hold on. how how. OK. What's, what's how's that line go again? That that business on Kita Nemodia, uh doesn't doesn't count. Yes, uh, that I'm pretty mm. sure I have. We're reading into the <laughs> Brotherhood book. Uh, Read, such, reading the bo- yes. Brotherhood book. I'm I'm a no little spoilers, bit into it. No spoilers. I'm just gonna say that I'm pretty sure. Oh man, I, it'll yeah, get to. It's getting line. to that I moment. So ex- I'm so excited for this now. It's, it's getting to that already, moment, but now. But I think that's kind of how their relationship transfers from a more fatherhood because I think Obi-Wan's actually really good at that is transferring and he doesn't you don't see him throughout the Clone Wars berating him for being a Padawan it's almost like everyone else considers him young but once he's a knight Obi-Wan's like okay you're a Jedi knight obviously I don't I'm not need to berate you about putting you down or making sure you know your place I'm pretty yeah. sure in that book he called at the very beginning he calls them equals yeah, exactly. Which yeah, is, is interesting. Which is so more I think of the transfers. Going back, going back to kind of my original point with that, and kind of where I was going around to is, so basically, Anakin, Anakin has Obi Wan, and then Obi Wan at this moment, at least, like we've kind of already discussed, it seems like it's always kind of putting him down. And then even in the movie, we have the moment with. Yoda and Windu, which, you know, are basically the most important members of the council, (laughs) you know? So he's basically talking to the people with probably the most sway in the council when it comes to making decisions. And Windu is talking good about Anakin. And then Obi-Wan contradicts. You know, so Obi-Wan basically to the people who would decide if Anakin's ready or not are saying, well, you know, like, oh, I think he's ready. He's doing really good. He has, you know, he's obviously very skilled and all these things. And he's like, oh, I don't think he's ready. And, you know, he's arrogant and all this type of stuff. So basically he's talking trash about (laughs) Anakin to like the two most important people in the council. And basically in the end, Yoda ends up giving them all counsel you know, about being arrogant. But so I think you, you kind of have that. And I, I feel like in that moment, because it bounces around so much, um, that Obi-Wan basically saying, you know, your dreams will pass, you know, is, was, was really kind of like a slap in the face when Anakin's opening up about which, like you guys had mentioned before, you know, maybe another master wouldn't even like, you know, hold a discussion like that you know, or whatever. But since they do have the relationship where they can be open and Anakin does finally open up to him about, you know, why he's so anxious and, and in the moment about his mom. And then he's just like, Oh yeah, the dreams will pass or whatever. I feel like it's, it's, there's no straight line to it. 
But then after he goes and finds out, you know, after everything that happens, he blames Obi-Wan. And then he says, you know, Obi-Wan, you know, this is Obi-Wan's fault. He was the one holding me back. And it was interesting, the fact that they used that dialogue and that he said that. He said, it's Obi-Wan's fault. He's holding me back. And so basically they're saying he's holding him back from being the better Jedi that he believes that he is. But really when I think about it, I feel like he means Obi-Wan held him back from going to save his mom, you know, <laughs> because if you, if you look at it that way, because yeah, Obi-Wan had an opportunity, you know, of, you know, she was, she was gone a month and that was probably a month, you know, <laughs> prior when he started having those dreams. So, you know, he possibly could have saved her life if he had went sooner. Now, that's also up for debate because there's also talk that Palpatine, you know, and Dooku were involved in having the sand people abduct her or whatever. <laughs> so possibly no matter what would have happened, that still would have happened. But I, f I feel like in that moment, like if you just watch the movie, it seems weird. It seems weird that after that crazy moment, he is so angry and he says it's all obi-wan's fault so at that moment like you're kind of just like what how does this have anything to do mm -hmm. with obi-wan but then when you kind of step take a step back and you think about everything that's going on in his life the choices you know that he's made and are made for him and what he let obi-wan know and obi-wan had knowledge of and did nothing about or didn't help in any way if you want to call it that you can kind of see how he could Anna could could in a way say i came to my friend my brother my dad and i told him i'm having these like really real nightmares of my mom in danger and he didn't do anything he didn't help me you can kind of see a little bit how he could blame obi-wan for that yeah that's i could i never i didn't think of it like that i thought more more along the lines of like Obi-Wan because I almost see Obi-Wan he's trying to I think what he's trying to do is not, he is holding him back but in he's trying to do it in the right way because he knows how powerful Anakin can and will become and so mm -hmm. he's trying to let him mature before he gains that power yeah because he could do exactly what he did is get that get that power and let that uh attachment rule him which which is what exactly what happens and so obi-wan's trying to hold it back so that he doesn't necessarily use his power too much because he is so mm -hmm. powerful uh, you brought up an, an interesting point when he talks about Obi-Wan holding him back. I never thought about Obi-Wan holding him back from saving his mom, but but he talks about Obi-Wan holding him back and how he's going to be the greatest Jedi, the most powerful Jedi who ever lived, and he'll even be able to stop people from dying. Mm -hmm. In other words, he's saying Obi-Wan 
is holding him back from saving lives, including his mother's. Yeah, so that's that's an, an interesting way. I've never never really thought about that sentence going that way, but mm-hmm. it's you, you you could say in a way he almost he almost blames Obi Wan for his mother's passing. Yeah, for sure. And I think another point um, that you had brought up, Tyler, um, is like the foreshadowing. I think George does awesome in foreshadowing that in like all of his movies, but I feel like in this one, there's so much excellent foreshadowing, you know, I I feel like you're going to be the death of me, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I, I, you know, he just, he's so, so amazing when it comes to that different stuff. I, I think another one is um, also, and we can talk about this if you want to take it first, Tyler, but Padme saying when she said that, if they do this, they'd be living a lie. You know? Yeah. And I, so, I mean, you could kind of take that one, but it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, I really like that point because, well, not only are they living a lie, but she asks him, well, could, could you do that? And he's mm-hmm. like, no. And he's like, you're right. Uh, it would destroy us, yeah. which is exactly... I never really thought about that moment of it would destroy us, but it is, like you said, perfect foreshadowing because he totally is exactly what happens. He he says it will destroy us, and that is 100% on point. It destroys them because of his attachment and need to save her. And, it's, and the irony is, is that his need and his want and his greed for that is what actually actually what kills her what kills her is mm-hmm. his selfish desire to save her over anything mm-hmm. to choose her over he's supposed to be the chosen one and a jedi to bring balance to the light side of the force and he chooses one person over the entire galaxy and that yeah. is the exact opposite of what a Jedi is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I thought kind of just about that whole situation too, that Padme is also like a foreshadow of Leia, which makes sense because <laughs> obviously it's her mom, but it also, you know, and, George does super good at, and I think they touched on it a little bit in the, in kind of the making of bonus discs for this movie, but I think he does so good in portraying Padme as this very strong willed, do the right thing. Oh, you know, above anything else. So in a way her like Leia they are very selfless and they always want to save someone. Right. And so in a way, besides, besides, besides her physical attraction to Anakin, which is obvious. The other part of it is I think that Padme in a way feels like she can save Anakin. She she feels like she, she knows him better than everyone else. And she probably really does in a way. And then obviously later they she does. But I feel like she kind of feels like he's right on that edge. And she has empathy for everyone. 
And so when she sees his situation and knows everything he'd been through, she feels like there's enough good in him that she can save him. So I think the foreshadowing of, of that is it really hits hard later, but in the moments, you know, that like Anakin's lying, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, that Anakin is only saying what she wants to hear. I truly believe that she believes that, but I don't think that Anakin really believes, you know? So whenever she questions him, he backs down. And so that actually brings out another point too, when she questions and he backs down. I think the other thing is when they're in the field and they're, they're discussing how democracy should work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The the dictatorship. Yeah, he basically describes the empire. Yeah, that's <laughs> then, another more foreshadowing. Yeah, so like he basically said that. But then when she questioned him back, he realized what he was saying, you know, and then mm-hmm. she was like, oh, are you teasing me? Are you, you know, are you making fun of me? And then he realizes like, oh, shoot, I probably I shouldn't have said that. But I do think he probably really did think that. But then he was like, oh, shoot. Yeah, that's like. <laughs> that's yeah, like the yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah, I just think there's there's so many things, you know, like people hate on the dialogue so much, but there's so many excellent pieces of dialogue, you know, and especially like when it comes to the foreshadowing, it's like you could look through every 10 minutes and probably find something that foreshadows what happens in the future. And I yeah, I just love that about this movie, too. Uh, You kind of uh, brought out a point I wanted to get to of like the making of mm-hmm. and hold on hold on okay sorry before before we get too far we had we had a question in chat probably like half an hour ago now that i wanted to i wanted <laughs> okay. to bring up just for a bit uh it was from seth and i think i feel like it's something we we very possibly disagree on based on uh josiah's comment saying he asked the question <laughs> Do we want to see Mace come back in the modern canon? And uh, Josiah, since you already answered it in chat, why don't you tell us what you think about that? Yeah. So my my big thing about this, and we've seen it over all of the Star Wars movies, Jedi don't fall from the Jedi don't die from fall damage. It just it doesn't happen. You can use the Force to stop yourself. You know um, whether like- it's you know, using something to hold on to, to swing to, you know, whatever it might be. But I mean, even think about Maul. Maul was chopped <laughs> in half and didn't die from fall damage. Palpatine, you know, was basically like, you know, electrocuted himself and fell down a silo and didn't die. I mean, so Sith and the Jedi just don't die from fall damage. What, what I thought about that is it brings me back to that moment you were just talking about them is in them in the field. And he's on those Naboo cows, whatever they are. Yeah. I, I can't I can't remember their names, but and then he gets trampled by it and uh-huh. he like fakes getting up. Uh-huh. And I was just watching and I'm thinking, I just watched you jump out of a speeder in Coruscant and fall, what, 50 plus stories Mm-hmm. And land on a speeder face first. I think he didn't die. I think he's okay. He didn't get trampled by the creature. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but I think to, like so to do the do the question justice. 
Do y'all want to see Mace come back in the modern canon? Yes, I do want that to happen. And then um, how, I want... that, how that could be, I just, I don't think that he died. And then, because other people say like, oh man, his arm got cut off. It's like everybody's arms get cut off in this. <laughs> it's a Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. uh, what, what I like, I think I would like to see more of Mace. Mm-hmm. I, I saw the rumors of them wanting to put it in like Boba Fett season two. I just I hope they don't do that. Or if they do, it's all flashbacks. Yeah, uh, because I I just don't want to see Django, not Django, Boba Fett <laughs> fighting Mace Windu in the current time where the Boba Fett show is like five years after Return of the Jedi. I just don't want to see it. After everything that happened in in the first season, the Boba Fett show, because I feel like it would mostly be a revenge plot. And frankly, we already had that. That was kind of the whole point of season one and his growing from that. And Mm -hmm. it would kind of take his character progression and just turn it back. A whole season and say oh he's just back to who he was before the first season what i just i don't think it would work that way i wouldn't i would like to see like uh flashbacks see him angry at him or even trying to kill him uh, maybe he tried to find him uh later in his life when he was younger but 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 after revenge of the sith but I don't necessarily. I could see him showing up in like past the sequels, maybe. I mean, of course, how old would Mace Windu be after the sequels? How? I mean, how old was he? Was he in his sixties in the prequels? So I don't even know if he still would still be alive. He'd have yeah. to He'd learn have some to of that like, force force healing. I yeah, I feel <laughs> like it'd be something along the lines of like a Yoda. You know, like yeah. he's like close to death, you know, <laughs> like he's got to be like 80 years old or something, you know. And so if it's more just like, yeah, similar to like what you're saying, either like flashbacks or something. But I and yeah, the where specifically in a show or movie or whatever where they would put him. Yeah, that that's a lot more cloudy and difficult to see how they would, you know, put that in there. But I, I do agree because he was saying, you know, there's been a lot of like, you know, leaks and, you know, people saying that, you know, stuff about it. And it's always kind of it's always over the years kind of been in there. And I think part of it is because Samuel Jackson wants to come back. Yeah, you know, I, he, I want, he wants he yeah. wants to be in there so bad. And so I, I feel like that just the fact alone that he wants to be in it so bad, I feel like somehow it would and even if he was in like for like a cameo or something like that, I I personally would like freak out and love it. Like if if Mace somehow was in there again, like I would just I would love to see that. I'd say he's already done his cameo. He's got his <laughs> voice in Rise of Skywalker. True. <laughs> see, I I absolutely would love to see more of Mace in Star Wars. But I don't know. I mean, I guess I would be okay 
with him surviving his his supposed death in episode three. But I really kind of think he shouldn't live, you know, into the into the original trilogy time, and definitely not into the sequel trilogy time, just because, you know, where's he been? What's he been doing? All this struggles in the sequel trilogies that the Resistance went through, and he's just like, meh. I'm an old hermit. I don't care anymore. And if that's how he is, why would we care what happens to him after that? Well, that's I, kind I of like think... they make everybody an old hermit. They made yeah, I know, even but... Luke an old hermit. Yeah, but uh, I mean, <laughs> that's what Star Wars be, is. <laughs> I think what would be a great the heroes learning of... from the the old hermit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would like to see is because uh, Mace Windu was one of, if not the most powerful. Jedi at the height of the Republic. Yeah. What I think would be great is is to see a, a kind of a similar uh, something we might see in the Obi Wan show of Mace Windu batting off Inquisitors, and then here comes Daddy Va- Daddy Darth Vader, and just I mean, just destroys him. If you if you, I, I don't really want to spoil it, but there's some. There's some some moments in the the Brotherhood book where mm-hmm. Mace Windu is just not nice to Anakin, and yeah. I think there's this line a line in Episode Three where where Anakin tells Mace Windu that the Chancellor is evil. He's the he's the Sith they're looking for, and and Mace goes, "Well, if that's true, then you've earned my trust." Yeah. If you think about it, Anakin is a very successful general. He trained a good student in the force. He's he's saved lives. He's done lots of good things. And Mace Windu doesn't trust him at all? Not even a little bit? Like, why does Mace Windu hate Anakin so much? And I feel like mm-hmm. that's that's something that you could see Vader getting revenge uh, on on Mace Windu for all the all the terrible ways he treated Anakin in his life. I kind of think that that's the moment. And that's why I think it makes it easier that moment where he turns to Darth Vader, where he, he cuts off his hand and lets Palpatine finish him off, really, is where if that was anyone else, if that was Obi-Wan standing over him, do you think it, you know, it might be a little bit harder? to to stop it but this is mace windu who's been really hard on you and he's about to basically he's gonna break the jedi code and so he he can kind of justify himself in that but then but once he he does that he knows there's no going back but he could if it, if it was uh, Obi-Wan standing over him, he would probably think a lot longer and he probably wouldn't make the same choice, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, and it goes that. into it goes in the, the book kind of goes into uh, Anakin and Palpatine's relationship quite a bit, which I think is is really interesting to, to, to dive into. So here's Mace, who is is. Uh, always been mean to Anakin about to kill a man who has been an extremely close friend 
who's always been supportive and caring and ag- agreed with everything that Anakin's done. Like, if, uh, if there's going in... to be a Mace Windu comeback, I hope it's a, an awesome lightsaber duel with Darth Vader in his power. Yeah. So I think that's what I would like to see with it, if Mace Windu came back. To kind of bring the, the conversation back to the topic of the movie. In the movie, uh he has a conversation with Palpatine and where Palpatine's basically telling him, You don't need guidance, Anakin. Mm-hmm. Uh, in time you will become the greatest of all the Jedi. He's he's pumping his tires up. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. He definitely definitely is he's pushing Anakin away from the Jedi by by telling Anakin how good he is. And Anakin doesn't see it that way. But Anakin's it's feeding like, an oh, ego. Nice. Yes. And an, mm-hmm. and an ego is what a Jedi shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. But like I will <laughs> I will just because de- being on the other side of it, he really isn't lying though. Palpatine isn't lying. He really is that great. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I'm, and I'm, Anakin really is that great. And But a and Jedi should Palpatine, be humble. Right. But Palpatine knows that that greatness needs to be on his side. That's the yeah. difference. The yep. Jedi yep. know he's great, but, you know, they're not going to be able to, they don't, they don't even know that there's a battle right now. You know, they, they, they're so blinded by the dark side. They don't even know mm-hmm. that they're fighting for Anakin's life, for his soul, for his allegiance. You know, so in a way, you kind of understand why they're not pushing so hard. But the reality is, you know, you, you there shouldn't have to be the threat of a Jedi going to the dark side to appreciate, you know, what you do have. Right. You know, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah uh, so interesting for uh, Palpatine's view of, of I, I need this on my side to be successful. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, how powerful Anakin is going to become. And you you need that, like you like yeah. it's, it's almost like make or break. Like he's a lot of his manipulation is gone into Anakin. Mm-hmm. I and think if there's Palpatine, one thing Palpatine can do, it's manipulate people. And I he think spent a lot of also, time working on that. Also, Anakin was the prize Jedi, mm-hmm. and Palpatine kind of thought to himself, you know what would really stick it to the Jedi. If I turned the one that's supposed to, that prophesied to deliver them to paradise or whatever, to get, to bring balance and, and if I take him and turn him to my side and do the exact opposite of what he's supposed to do, think of how, how much that would stick it to the Jedi. Like you thought you were all powerful. You mm-hmm. thought you had the chosen one that was going to bring balance. Look at he's on my side now. Ha, huh. I used your biggest pawn, your biggest piece and turned it into my biggest piece. Mhm. Uh I liked Uh sorry, were you going to say ahead. something Q? No, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to see about some comments uh from Seth there. Uh I like the about how much has Boba Fett really changed if he had the chance to avenge his death with uh, Mace Windu. Yeah, I could see mm-hmm. that. That would be a real test. Uh, when you put it like that, I, I find that pretty interesting. I could get on board with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Shoot. One thing yeah, I wanted it, to talk about. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just also going to mention, uh, I, I'm not sure who he's referring to when he talks about, imagine if you dedicated your life to the construct that created Darth Vader. I think he's talking about he's Luke talking about there. Mace Windu. Or Mace, Mace Windu. yeah. Mace yeah, Windu. Like because I think he was talking the, like... The Jedi. Or being and like, the Jedi I was thinking... Darth Vader. Right, so I think you, he was kind of talking, because we were talking about becoming like a hermit and where he could be or during this whole period of time. And yeah, I could totally see that. So yeah. he was, you know, one of the top members of the council. He had direct, I guess, he had the direct opportunity to change that outcome for Anakin. You know, so he could definitely be thinking back of all of the decisions he made and his part in helping yeah. you, basically Anakin choose the dark side. So, yeah, I, I totally agree that he could be like some old hermit and just being like, doesn't want to get involved. It doesn't want to get involved in anything. Yeah. I don't want to get involved. You I know, mean, just with depression Jedi, with, yeah, for sure. The yeah, depression totally and, and PTSD and, and guilt that would drive you mm-hmm. into that because you could feel like, well, this is all my fault. Or at least I was mm-hmm. had a heavy hand in this. I was yeah. one of, if not the most powerful, if not the second most powerful Jedi to Yoda. And I could have done more. And just just the guilt. Yeah, I like that point. Mm-hmm. I think I think Mace Windu has the opportunity to be a, a very interesting character that we could uh, there's definitely more to learn about um he's he's very much walks the line of of like his fighting style he's very aggressive Mm -hmm. and he walks the line of of what jedi should and shouldn't do like like he's not a nice guy really yeah and it's it's (laughs) it's 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 opportunity to be but but he is very dedicated to the way of the jedi which is really interesting and one thing mm-hmm. i i had noticed uh while watching the movie when when he walks up to uh count dooku in the arena right b- before the jedi fight right well i noticed i'm like what well, you know mace or count dooku is quite a bit older than mace windu right but mace windu is is one of the most powerful like tyler said probably second most powerful to yoda but i do believe that that He's technically in charge of the council. Mace Windu is technically the one in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would, I would he, probably he has, agree with that. He might not be the most powerful in the Force, but as far as the ranking of Jedi, he is number one. Yeah. And and yet, Count Dooku is, is older than him, right? And he was Yoda's apprentice. So Count Dooku probably saw a lot of Mace Windu's growing up years, right? Yeah. Becoming the Jedi that he was. Mm-hmm. And he calls him his old friend. Yes. Which so obviously they they were quite familiar with each other, and he understands the power that Mace Windu has in the position that he's in. And I feel like there's a lot of story there. I really like, I really enjoyed the the Dooku the Dooku uh, audio story. I feel Dooku like Jedi lost. Lot. Yeah. Yep. The audio drama. I do mm-hmm. think there's a lot of cool story. That could be told between Mace Windu and Dooku in their younger years. Yeah, I yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I know this kind of 
comes brings us to like another point um, when it comes to Dooku. If is Dooku really bad? <laughs> if so, if you think about Obi Wan, his master Qui Gon Jinn, Qui Gon Jinn, if he didn't die, if Maul didn't kill him, where would he be ten years later? During that that same moment with Anakin, because he would still be training Anakin at that point. Where would Anakin be? Where would Qui Gon yeah. Jinn be? What would their choices be? You know, I it yeah, it's it is definitely he, interesting. And so when he even said that, when Dooku brings that up, when Dooku reminds Obi Wan that Qui Gon was his apprentice, just like he is apprentice to him. You know, and then he was like, he would never, you know, trust you or he'd never, you know, team up with you or whatever. He says, you know, he reminds him of that. And so you can see in the first movie and then even through that time, the reverence Obi-Wan has for Qui-Gon. And so, like, if you take that same reverence that Qui-Gon has for Dooku, which once again, if, if you haven't read that, if you haven't or read or heard that audio drama of Dooku, oh man, it is so, so good. And that plays a huge part into this because then when you see him, you, you, it does, you put an excellent correlation between the two is Dooku basically the Qui-Gon of the Sith. Yeah. I, I really like that point because I was kind of thinking about it and the way he words it and he, he basically tells Obi-Wan the whole truth and it almost makes you think, is he kind of like a, a Qui-Gon version of the Sith where, or, or even, or even not, maybe he's just a good guy. Maybe, maybe Dooku knows what's right and he's trying to beat them from the inside. Mm -hmm. And I, and I kind of thought about that, but I was like, well, if he was trying to do that, you know, he could have just tried to kill Palpatine, but he's not that dumb. He knows he's not, he's yeah, not, he's not strong enough. He's not strong enough. So maybe he's, he's got his own plans of trying to like hint Obi-Wan over there. Hey, you know, maybe the Jedi can assist with this. Yeah, I think or another thing to think about is what if Dooku was testing out to see what people would believe? So he took his own journey to leave, maybe similar to what Qui-Gon Jinn would have done after 10 years. He could have possibly made a similar decision to leave the order, right? But then he meets Palpatine <laughs> and that kind of changes things. And so maybe Dooku at that time, he's not thinking Jedi Sith. He's thinking power mm -hmm. and Palpatine's offering him power, offering him more wisdom, um, new abilities that he never thought that he could have. So or in a way, there, there's nothing necessarily wrong because he left the order. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with him learning all of these other skills. You know, if he's going to still in the end, use it, use it for good. So it, it kind so of exactly. Yeah. Well, um, they just kind of made me think that he he left the Jedi and went to become the 
Count of Sereno so mm-hmm. that he because he thought he could do more for that planet. Well, maybe yeah. he's kind of on the lines where Anakin is thinking, you know, I've brought peace and security to my new empire. Maybe he's thinking that the Empire and the Sith are really the the best option to actually bring security to the universe. Mm-hmm. And so maybe and obviously going about it the lo- the wrong way like most villains do but mm-hmm. still has good intentions. Yeah. And so well, it- maybe Dooku knows he can't go into the council, right, and say, "Hey, you know, Palpatine is the dark lord of the Sith. He's tricked you all." You know, they'd be like, you know, arrest him probably, you know. So maybe what he was possibly doing is he's like, since I have a connection with Obi-Wan, I have a connection with Qui-Gon, you know, here, let's at least attempt it. Let's see what they think. And then at that moment, he's like, okay, yeah, if I can't even one-on-one telling him 100% the truth to Obi-Wan, you know, who has reverence, you know, for my old Padawan, if I can't even get through to him, then there's no... There's no reason to attempt trying to talk to the council about it. I know. I was uh, uh, talking to Kwani and I was explaining their relationship. And I said, basically, Obi-Wan would, from a Jedi perspective, Obi-Wan would be Dooku's grandson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the way you bring it up, at, at the start of this movie, Attack of the Clones, the start of the movie... Padme tries to blame Count Dooku for for the assassination attempt on her life. True. And and Keanu Mundi says he's an idealist, not a murderer. Yeah. So at that point, I mean, when he left the Jedi, it's almost like he left in the most it's okay to leave way. You yeah. know, like well, there's they a statue didn't of him, too. him. They didn't pursue him. They didn't they didn't try Yoda to Yoda lets him, him keep his lightsaber. Him. Yeah, yeah, he's not even he's not even exiled. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's an interesting interesting way to see it. That he possibly could have could have talked to them on that front, but then then all the bad stuff that starts to happen at the end of Attack of the Clones, and he's pretty much lost his opportunity. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that goes back once again. You know, kind of thinking where Qui Gon would be. Because in it makes sense more, you know, Qui-Gon's philosophy and viewpoint, you know, that he definitely could care less what's going on in the Senate, you know. And I feel like Dooku's the same way, you know. He he doesn't care so much about that. And since the Jedi and the Council, you know, are getting closer and closer bonded to it, I feel like that's another reason why he could see that you know the Jedi are basically just doing whatever the Senate wants versus what's what's right, you know, and they're mm-hmm. you know they're basically they obviously Dooku knew that they're headed to war, you know Dooku knew before all the Jedi that war was coming, you know, yeah. so he well, same, could already same, see that. You could say the same about Qui Gon. That was this whole point of finding Anakin. He could see where yeah. where the galaxy was heading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh I like I wanted to uh just bring out one other point. I wanted to kind of do uh behind the scenes stuff. One thing uh in the making of. 
Because one thing that I thought was it's always been cool about Star Wars is technology, and not just mm-hmm. technology in the in the movies, but the the way they advance movie technology. And so I think I'm not I'm not hundred percent on this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but probably at this point, uh, Attack of the Clones was the most CGI'd movie ever, and. I'm not sure if that's correct, but I do know that Revenge of the Sith was for sure when it was made. Yeah, I, I think and, it was. But but one of the things I thought that was really cool is they would make up these virtual, basically like a video game. You know, it looked awful, but you could see how the scenes were supposed to go. And so then they would show that to George and he could make adjustments to how he wanted it to be filmed Mm -hmm. and then they could make those and then when he said everything was good then they did all the cgi so they didn't have to continually like oh you wanted this foot here and you wanted this slightly a little changed they didn't have to do the full cgi until he was like okay this is good now now fully draw it in Mm -hmm. and and another thing i thought was cool is they basically did that same thing, and they were showing with the uh, speeder bu- the speeder chase at the beginning in Coruscant. Yeah, but they could show Obi Wan and Anakin basically how it's supposed to look, so they could know how to act. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just kind of cool because if you think about it, it was like the beginning of that kind of thing. Which now, when they shoot the Mandalorian, you have the volume, which instead of a green screen you can see all of uh, you can see all of the, what's behind you and everything. And so the actors can really get into their environments, but in attack of the clones, this is, I mean, this was 20 years ago now. And in fact, actually the 20th anniversary is in three days. Mm-hmm. So it's, is super cool what they were doing to push technology in this movie. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it's the first time we saw CGI Yoda. Mm-hmm. Which I like a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> Personally. <laughs> I, I think they both have their place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will agree with that. Uh, but I yeah, I, I think, yeah, touching on, like, the behind-the-scenes thing, I think another thing is, you know, if anybody watching this, if you haven't seen the behind-the-scenes, you got to do it. Um, I think you can even find... Um, a lot of the behind the scenes, even like on YouTube. But I think especially for people who maybe have been tainted by other people's opinions of the movie, um, maybe, you know, people making fun of the dialogue or the acting or whatever. um, We were talking about this before. When you watch like the behind the scenes and how much work that they put into it, it's just, it's mind boggling, you know, how their attention to detail of all the different sets, all the different props. And, and it's, it's so cool too. When you watch that, you see how big of a part and that George Lucas hand was on every single piece of that movie. He, Mm -hmm. he like, look through every single piece of wardrobe, every alien face, you know, every ship, every inch of that. He looked through everything, made his changes. He, you know, changed up people's sketches. Every single thing of those movies 
you know, he was so involved in. And I think without being like, you know, starting to go on the negative side of things, but I think that's why this trilogy is so amazing compared to the sequel trilogy to me personally, because the Star Wars that I originally fell in love with was George Lucas, 100% vision down to the square inch of the movie, the music, every note, every single thing of the movies was George Lucas idea, his imagination, and everybody around him. And you can see this when you look at the behind the scenes, everybody, the actors, you know, the, you know, people in design in the CGI departments, every single person looked to him like in reverence. And it, it, like, it was just amazing to see. I mean, mm -hmm. if I was in the room, I would look at him the same way too. But, you know, it was crazy to see all these people top of their fields, like you were saying, like top of the line CGI. He wanted stuff that didn't even exist at the time. They were trying to like fulfill his imagination that didn't even exist in, in cinema at the time, you know, and they were doing it because they believed in him and they loved his vision. And I feel like that also is, is part of the reason why it was so, it, there was so much CGI in it. But when I was in that theater, I was in that movie. I was in those moments. And so I think they, they were able to nail like George Lucas vision technologically at that moment, everything that was possible, they put like their heart and soul into that movie. And so despite, you know, if you don't like every single line of the movie or you think some of the lines like, you know, are a little cringy or, or whatever, that movie was such like a beautiful work of art. I loved it. One, one thing I like to point out is uh, the design of the movie because when they were designing ships and stuff, basically George told them, no, I want, this is a simpler time. This is before war. And so you wanted stuff and, and more elegant. The ships from Naboo are clean and they're really, they're, they're, the whole universe at this point, before it really starts to get into the war, is supposed to be more about culture and and the arts and you mm -hmm. see that in their their designs their ships their ships are more like art instead how, of <clears throat> sorry how, how great is that opening scene right above coruscant with that uh the naboo starliner that mm -hmm. just beautiful design and the two n1 starfighters yeah that that ship yeah. is look how cool that is how sleek and Mm -hmm. Naboo, Naboo ship designers are fantastic. <laughs> Nubian ships are just mm -hmm. beautiful. I've yeah. always loved the the N1 starfighter. Like that is like yeah, even it's a like, it's, it's like a the most elegant. Ship. But it's so and it's so elegant. But it's a fighter. But the way, yeah, but it's a fighter. And I also think that about that when you talked about the uh, the simpler time, we're not at war. Well, look at the the Jedi starfighters from this mm -hmm. time they're mm -hmm. they're not really very you know very they're not armed very well they don't even have their own their own hyperdrives you yep. have to use the rings to get places mm -hmm. it's very very simple they, they aren't expecting 
any kind of major attack on them. And it, and then, like you said, the design, you, you, had to, you had to look at it. You had to go, okay, um, here, here's what the, the Empire had for ships, right? What did, what did the previous three generations look like? And you get the, the Acclimator class, which is, I think, a beautiful, a beautiful uh, Star Destroyer. Mm -hmm. um, I just and it's it's not very powerful. It's you know it's smaller. It's not nearly as armed as a as a as a Star Destroyer. But you had to think they, they weren't at a full scale war, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. Mando's Mando's N one. It's <laughs> that's so cool. I I've I mean, pre-ordered my uh, my Lego. <laughs> did you? It's not the, yeah. It's not the uh, the best bounty hunter ship, I don't think, but I think it's absolutely perfect for the two of them. And I knew when I saw that little bubble on top of it. Yeah, the droid used to be that had to be that mm -hmm. had to be Grogu's yeah. little seat. That was I love it. Love There's it. one so wizard. One other thing I kind of wanted to. Uh, get in here I wanted to sh uh, show and to, we can talk about for a second Let's oh talk about Dex. Dex yeah <laughs> love Dex's character Dex is the greatest character he reminds me a lot of my own uncle he's just like friendly <laughs> you can go and talk to him and he's always got something funny to say Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah Dex Dex is great and I, re I, I really want to see like something from him in the Obi-Wan show that it, it, even if like he knows that Obi-Wan's still alive or something yeah you know I could I could see that because of the way that the the book goes into their 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 this relationship right here a little bit and it's so cool there's some I don't want to spoil it because there's some really cool points. I keep saying I don't want to spoil it. Plus the books, the book, but <laughs> but the books also only came. I was only been out for what three days. Yeah, yeah, three <laughs> days now. No, uh, yeah, yeah I, 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 guess, I think it is. Awesome. I guess there's some. I've, so you see, you haven't seen any, read any of it yet, right, Josiah? No, just that that one portion. Okay. Yeah. There's. Honestly, I don't even remember what that portion said, but. Um, <laughs> It's been it's been great, and this relationship right here is cool. Yeah, I I love him as a character, and I I feel like, you know, he definitely and it's fifty to Steiner. Yeah, he definitely could be like an awesome, you know, cameo in another story, you know, or in a show or something like that. Like once again, like just because, like you said, like he's just like he's just awesome, you know. As soon as like. You can tell even Obi-Wan, as soon as he walks in and sees him, he relaxes and he just feels good to be in his presence, you know? And it's kind of funny because uh, one of the deleted scenes, Obi-Wan actually first takes that to like the Jedi, you know, research scientific facility or whatever and droids check it out. And so it makes sense later, but they look at it and they're like, yeah, it's, it's not known anywhere. You know, someone must have just made it themselves or whatever. And then he's like, oh, I know who can help me out with this. And like, it's kind of funny, you know, like 
it was like a little bit cheesy or whatever but it was but then when you think of dex he was probably like yes i get to go hang out with my buddy and get a cup of jawa or whatever <laughs> get you know? jawa juice jawa juice yes so i mean it then it makes sense why he's like oh i know where i can go take this to my good buddy over at the diner um and so yeah i, I feel like you know he knows just on you know on a, a peer relationship basis that this is just a straight up good dude. And then I think the knowing more of his backstory of Dex anyways, would be so awesome. Cause it's like, how does this random fifties diner in Coruscant, you know, this fifties diner owner in the middle of Coruscant or whatever, you know, he's like all ghetto and dressed and everything, you know, like probably well, he's make a, cook. a lot of money, but, but it's like, you know, then how does he know all this information? You know, like, I love that. And I love that, like, you don't know. You don't know that how he knows all this info, you but, know. But like, I do, but I do know now. Yeah. Not everybody knows, let's say. <laughs> I know, if you but, watch the movie, so, you so, don't know. I, I will say, I will say this. His, his background uh, is. That's right. He, He's he, the best hugger. He, he was, true. he was one of the top. Uh, information brokers in the underworld for a long time and he okay. knows things about obi-wan he knows a lot of things about obi-wan's past that he kind yeah. of talks about and reveals and it's 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 great i would absolutely not i mean he's information broker right so he mm -hmm. probably knows obi-wan's alive i would absolutely love to see that yeah. cameo in the obi-wan show somewhere or if yeah if there's like some sort of connection like you know, so there's already been, you know, people saying like, oh, maybe there's another, you know, either Jedi or Padawan that's like hiding. And that's what maybe possibly brings out Obi-Wan or whatever. So what if like Dex ends up being the connection? Someone goes, <laughs> you know, and then there, he's like, there is somebody that can help you. <laughs> Just like, oh, man, that'd be awesome. That would be cool. That would be cool to see him for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh Anything else? Oh, one thing I, I really liked, and it was back about the concept art and when they were drawing it all up, but, and they were talking about the theme of the movie. And the theme of the movie is love and war. Mm -hmm. And so you see that, that and they, they basically, they were talking, you see that by the colors of the movie. When the movie starts, it's a blue, of Coruscant. You land in the morning. And then when the movie ends, it's red. You're on the red planet, the red desert planet of uh, Genosis. And you you can see the red. And then, but then you're also... The, end, the final scene on Coruscant, kind of the one that's behind... Q's head is the red sunset. Mm -hmm. And then and then they were talking then you have uh Tatooine and it's more of a neutral yellow and it kind of splits the movie in half where you go from the love, the blue, the calm to red, the anger, the hate, the war. Mm -hmm. and it, and it's it's so cool how how just though it's something i never even thought about but just the details that george thinks about 
when you go into these movies of just just the color of the atmosphere mm-hmm. and the themes. And so that was one of the cool things that I really, really enjoyed about that, the theme there. You can really see the love and the war and, and, and what it does. Yeah, I love that. And since you brought it up, it reminded me also that they touched on during the the duel with Anakin and Dooku, as short as it was, there is a moment, you know, when the lights, you know, went went dim and it was dark. And then it shows Anakin's face and the lightsaber lights are flashing back and forth of blue and red. Yep. And once again, that was another foreshadow. And like, I didn't necessarily notice that you know, until way later, it's like, yeah, that is so perfect that at that moment, he's already, you know, starting to teeter on which side he's going to end up going. And so, yeah, it's like you said, it's just the attention to detail and the tiniest minute things. If you watch it one time and never think about it, you're missing out on so much of what mm-hmm. George gives us. Yes, very, very true. Um, I think uh, I saw, yeah, the... The dudes in the in the biker gang or the uh, yeah from from Boba Fett yeah it does fit it also yeah it would fit see I've always I always thought that it, those bikes would fit very nicely parked at uh, Dex's diner mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah for sure uh, but I think uh, yeah we've we've talked a lot I think we mm-hmm. kind of summed it all up. Uh, anything else you guys want to add? Uh, where can we find you guys? Well, I just I just wanted to say one last thing. I feel like watching this, watching the movie again in preparation for for this podcast to talk about it, I saw a lot of things in in a whole new light. Mm-hmm. That definitely, I think, made the movie a lot better. Yeah, and it's just it's just interesting to to pay attention to every little detail to have stuff to talk about just how how important mm-hmm. everything is and how it actually is a really good movie yeah that yeah, the I worst agree. prequel i yeah i, I think I it's still a great movie yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I still i still would i still would rank the phantom menace and uh, revenge of the sith above it but i i definitely think it's it's risen in my view of it and just after this last time watching it mm-hmm. yeah i would yeah, definitely sure. agree with that yeah, I think if you could just kind of take a moment, don't don't think of the other movies and be in the movie, which is like my favorite thing to do. When I watch any movie, I go with the intention to enjoy it first. But then my second is trying to be completely into the movie, like the director and the actors are, you know, that which is their goal. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'm, I was the same the last time that I watched it in preparation for this as well. I just put myself in there and I was like, man, it's just as a standalone, it's such an awesome movie. There's so much in there. There's action, there's humor, and it's a beautiful love story because it ends with them getting married, you know, and, you know, in a beautiful wedding ceremony, you know, in Naboo. So it's like, if you just take it as it is, you know, there's just, there's so much, you know, greatness in this one movie. I think sometimes it's really hard because, you know, you think about what happens next. It's kind of hard to be in that moment and realize, you know, it really was a a forbidden love, 
you know, love story that, you know, and to the end of this movie had a happy ending. <laughs> I, I like that point a lot there, Seth. Uh, movies are art. And yeah, our, our view of art definitely changes. Mm-hmm. The the more, especially when you can take time and analyze it more and, and the realization. And like, look at this film. Okay, actually, this photo is amazing because you see the wedding, which is love. But look to the right. Mm-hmm. It's a red sunset. Mm-hmm. Like this, the symbolism is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just laughing at what, what Seth said. That was yeah, and my bad. I was trying to find the right photo. Tyler <laughs> puts the picture of Dex up again. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, man. Well, that, that, that reminds me of when I was... This picture here reminds me of I was watching the movie, and she talks about swimming to the island every day. And I, all I could think of was, I hope that water is not connected to the ocean. Because we just saw oh, what was in man. that in the last movie. Yeah, that's true. And I was also thinking, I was like, that island is way too far away to swim to. Nice try. (laughs) Maybe the Gungans can swim that far, but not a human. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, I think uh, we should start wrapping things up, guys. Uh, Yeah. Well, uh, you guys just want to list off what you're up to and where people can find you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, on Twitter, I'm Martinez mostly. Um, find me mostly Martinez pretty much everywhere. Um, Twitter's mostly where I am. I'm also, uh, I mess around a little bit on uh, Discord channels and stuff. So you can find me usually in anywhere that has something about Star Wars. I'm usually around there saying funny things. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much where you're going to find me if you if you want to look for me is on on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Crazy Quentin. Uh, I'm not very active on there, but I'm trying to be a bit better about that. And I have started to do a, a little bit of Twitch streaming. You can find me at Crazy Quentin. Um, I'm not very regular at streaming, but it's something new. I'm trying to fit in around other schedules, so you can feel free to stop by and check it out. And... As you can see, I'm at mostly Darth on uh, Twitter, but you'll also notice that I'm missing my Canuck because I usually go by Darth Canuck, and that's what you can find me on my Twitch. Uh, don't don't stream very often, but go ahead, give me a follow. Might be streaming some Lego Star Wars. Who knows? Yeah, I'd like to also just give a shout out to everybody. Um, who watched us live, who jumped in. Um, obviously, Seth, you know, you're definitely always in the conversation. I appreciate you being here. Um, that's huge. Um, Please appreciate Alani, you. Yep. Danny, um, <laughs> thank you so much for, for being here. And um, I'm going to say your name. And don't hate me if I say this wrong, because I've known you a long time and I've talked to you a bunch, you know, on Twitter and Discord. But Togo Bap. I don't know if that's how you say it, um, but I appreciate <laughs> you being here. I appreciate you um, checking out our podcast on your way to work. Um, you know, that's the whole goal of this thing is anybody who loves Star Wars, 
um, to have a conversation, um, to maybe give you some differing, you know, opinions that you've never, never had some different ideas you never had. And obviously, you know, definitely leave comments anywhere. If you have any ideas or differing ideas, we love to hear those too, because anything that's going to help us see it differently, love Star Wars more. That's what we're here for. And also check out our first, first video. Leave a comment there if you haven't already, because when we reach a uh, hundred subs, we're going to be giving away a Star Wars video game of your choice. Yep. All right, guys. I think we've done it. Uh, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. <laughs>